0: I want to minister today about uh, discerning the voice of God, discerning the voice of God. How many of you want to hear God? Okay, five of you. How many you already hear God? How many of those of you that hear God feel a bit sometime-ish, feel a bit 50-50? Yeah, yeah, I, I feel you. I'm with you today. I want to talk today about discerning his voice. I want to talk today about recognizing his voice. And I want to talk today about distinguishing the voice of God from the the voice of you. And and, uh, uh, before I do... You know, I I love the declaration we just gave today. I think it speaks prophetically to so many things that the Lord wants to do in this nation. I think it's really building an atmosphere for the kingdom of God. Um, I was having so many visions when I was sitting down, and I may share those if God permits later. Um, But I believe that prayer is going to change this nation. And I believe it's going to be a praying army of young people that are going to shift the culture of this land for the glory of God. Amen. Now, let's go into this. When you ask people, what's the worst thing that can ever happen to you in your church? And I've seen many churches. When you ask people, what's the worst thing that can happen in your church? Some people say, loss of leadership. Some people say, when leaders just leave. How many of you have lost some leaders or you've had some leaders leave, right? Most of us who are in leadership. Some people say a church split. How many of you have ever been a part of a church split? Church splits are horrible. Some people may say moral misbehavior when a leader is caught in something they shouldn't have been doing. I'm not gonna ask you to put your hand up there. Uh, Some people say sexual misconduct. Somebody say, the death of a pastor and we've lost, we've just recently lost a wonderful bishop, um, part of our network in Scotland. He went home to be with the Lord abruptly and the church is in a place of absolute shock, not knowing where to go next. But can I tell you something? Churches can survive these things. Churches can survive these things. I wanna redefine what is the worst thing that can ever happen in a church because churches can survive bereavement. Churches can survive sexual misconduct. I've seen churches survive moral misbehavior. I was in a church where I had to reprimand uh, some leadership because um, they were in the church preaching and sleeping with every member in the church, the, the precious. Uh, Man of God, he was a great prophet. I mean, he was a wonderful prophet. When he sat on the stage, you wouldn't even know he was living in sin. Why? Because the gifts and the callings of the Spirit are irrevocable. If God gives you an anointing, he will not take it back. And so preaching wonderfully, prophesying wonderfully, doing all these great things. A wonderful man married with older kids who have all gone on to school and university... And I'm, I'm watching him, and he's in, he's in sin. One service, uh, I wasn't there for that service, thank God. A woman walked into the church, and she was one of the people that he had been uh, doing things with. And the pastor's wife is at the front, and she shouts from the back, You lied to me! You told me you weren't married! <laughs> How can you imagine? That happening and you're the pastor of the church and he's standing there just prophesying. And then this woman walks into the service. I've seen some things. I've seen some things. I've seen some things that will make you shake your head. So here it is and the woman comes in. You lied to me. You told me that you weren't married. And the wife is sitting there looking at the woman at the back. What is he talking about? The man's so embarrassed. He he tells his ushers to get the woman out. The woman comes with her mother. The mother's like, you're not going to silence us. And they're screaming and they're shouting. But can I tell you something? That church is still alive today. That man is still preaching today. Is he restored? I don't know. But he's still preaching. That church is growing It split, but now it's twice the size. Because churches can survive that. And I'm not condoning that behavior. But I'm saying churches can survive that. The number one thing a church cannot survive is when your lamp goes out. If you're running a church and your lamp has gone out, your church cannot survive it. So when we read the book of Revelation and we see God judging the churches and he says, repent, lest I come to you and I take your lampstand from you. Some of us think, ooh, scary, ooh. You know, he says, lest I, think about it. He didn't say, lest I come to you and I kill you. And then you'll be scared. Lest I come to you and I expose your sin. And then you'll be like, oh my gosh. He says, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to take your lampstand. <laughs> can you imagine? think mean, you're probably looking going, ooh, okay. Take it. I'll put another one there. I'm going to take your lampstand. It is the worst thing that can ever happen to any church is to lose your lampstand. Lose members, lose leaders, suffer bereavement, sexual immorality, all of those things. But you protect your lampstand. And that's why the Bible says in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3, when God called Samuel during the dark age of the church, and why do I call it the dark age of the church? Because there was no frequent revelation. There were no prophets. And somebody may think that there's nothing so bad about having no prophets in the church. In fact, churches seem wonderful. It seems less controlling when we have less prophets. When we have more prophets, everybody thinks that they're so big that they can't even sit on their chair anymore and listen to anybody else preaching because they heard from God last night. So why do we need a prophet? Because the Bible says in the book of Amos chapter 3 verse 7, I the Lord do nothing lest I reveal my secret to my servant the prophets. There is no move of God without prophets. No amens. There is no move of God that happens without prophets. God doesn't do anything without his servant, the prophets. He didn't say, I, the Lord, do nothing without my servant, the pastors. No, without the prophets, God will not move. And so when a nation has no prophets, that nation soon begins to regurgitate information and no longer revelation. They begin to recycle one another's truths. And what started as a river soon becomes a swamp. It, it can only be fresh for so long before people get bored. It can only be fresh for so long before people get tired. When your church lamp goes out, and this is what's happening in the West, all over the churches in the West right now. When the lamp goes out of your church, can I tell you the only way to keep members in your church is to serve more teas and coffees? When your church lamp goes out, the only way to keep members is to have a smoke machine. And I love smoke machines. Don't get it twisted. Hey, I'll have a good smoke machine. I'll get me some lights. I'll get me some balloons in that room. I'll get a disco ball going. But I need the anointing first. And when your lamp goes out, you've got to make all kinds of entertainment noise. To cover up for the fact that you have no more light, and I'm not saying this. To, I'm listen. I'm not saying this to judge. I love. Let me just repeat myself. I love lights. I love smoke machines. I love excellence. I love when I come into a church conference and I feel like I'm at a rock concert. I love it, but you better be anointed while you're rocking. Don't distract me with your lights. Because when you are anointed, you know, I used to go to a church belt in London. Some of you may know it called Old Camp Road. How many of you know Old Kent Road? You got to know Old Camp Road. A couple of my Londonites will know uh, uh, Old Camp Road. I used to go to uh, Old Camp Road. And it's a church belt. So everywhere along that road is a church. And the churches are made wonderful things. Jesus Christ of the House of Nazareth, London. Jesus Christ lives here, London. Jesus Christ International Duplication Ministries. Dunamis Exusia International. El Shaddai Jehovah Jireh Ministries. And then you'll walk further down and you'll see a hairdresser. And the hairdresser is called Jesus Christ Barbershop. And you're just like, what does Jesus need with a haircut? And you're just looking at all these things and you're watching. And I used to go to this place on Old Kemp Road. And as I'd go there, I realized something. That a lot of churches make a lot of noise to cover up for something that they're missing. And when you lack the anointing, when I was there, I used to see a pastor used to go to a woman, uh, walk up to a woman and go, you're getting delivered today. You're getting delivered today. And the woman will start, you know. And then I'll go, vomit in the bucket. (laughs) Vomit. Vomit. I'm watching this. I'm like, Lord have mercy. What are you doing? Vomit. That's it. Come out of her. Vomit. Vomit it up! I'd be like, "Hey, listen, I understand there are different manifestations of deliverance. I got nothing wrong with it, but, but you know, Jesus didn't need to tell anybody to vomit. Jesus didn't even need to tell demons to manifest. Jesus would just walk into a room." And when he was in the room, something about the devil got so angry about something about his holiness that the Bible says demons manifested. That means Jesus was a walking rebuke. I'm telling you, when you're sitting in the church like Jesus was one day, and one of the leaders of the church starts going, I know who you are. Because he was a walking rebuke. Wherever Jesus was, demons manifested because where light enters, darkness is automatically exposed. I didn't come into this room today and go to your pastor and say, Pastor Moses, is the light on? I didn't go, Pastor Moses, is the light on? He'll look at me and say, tell me, of course the light is on. Can you not see light, light, light? You ought to be really offended when people have to ask you if you're a Christian. Because either you're the light of the world or you're not. Either your light is on or it's not. Because can I tell you when it's on, darkness bows. Demons bow. Sickness bows infirmity leaves God begins to speak to you when your light is on and so Christians you know I want you to turn your light on today I want you to make a conscious decision that you are going to let your light shine before men that they see it and glorify the Father amen Mm -hmm. That's the worst thing that can happen. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3, and er, the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid to sleep. The lamp of God was going out in the temple, the lamp of God, and when God's lamp goes out, that's the worst judgment that can ever happen to a church. The worst thing a church can lose is the presence of God. And I've been to the church in America, and I love the church in America, But can I tell you, something scares me when I'm in a church and there's beautiful music, somebody's singing falsettos and altos and angelic worship, and there's no presence. Have you ever been there? Gifted, talented, but they're not releasing the presence of God into the atmosphere. Something scares me. It causes me every day to fall on my face in the fear of God and say, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't wanna go. Because the worst thing that can happen to anybody is for your lamp to go out. What is this lamp? And why is it important? We heard the, the pastor say yesterday that lamps stand for understanding and they stand for illumination. I want to give you a different word for illumination revelation. Somebody say revelation. Revelation. Churches without lamps become social groups. You need revelation. Ephesians 24 verse 2 says, Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil from pressed olives for the light, that the lamp may be kept burning continuously. Numbers 8 verse 2 says, Speak to Aaron and tell him when you set up seven lamps, they are to light the area in front of the lampstand. What is the light of the New Testament church? it is revelation let's go to the book of matthew and let's read chapter 18 if we can and if you'll permit me not to put too much pressure on my voice it'll be great if you'll help me not shout too hard today and just help me by reading matthew 16 verse uh, 13 The Bible says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, and some say you are one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. And then he covered his mouth. And God looked at him and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah or Bar Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal. Somebody say, Reveal. Look at your neighbor and say, Reveal. reveal. The neighbor looks suspicious. Find another neighbor and say, Reveal. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now why is this important? Because the very next chapter tells us something. He says, therefore I tell you, you are from now on no longer called Simon. Your name is Petra. Which means little rock. Or it means a piece of me. I want you to get this. He says you are now Petra and on this Petros I will build my church. He says you are now a little piece of the whole rock. And it was from here that the Catholic Church got started because the Catholic Church started to believe that the only way to build the church was to be a part of Peter. And so they thought that the only way you can be a leader in the church was to somehow be a descendant of Peter. And so you see the Pope this, the Pope this, every Pope believes that they are a descendant of Peter. And that's how Catholicism got started. Because they didn't realize that Peter was not the rock. Peter was just a piece of the rock. Are you getting something? And then he says, on this piece, on this small portion, on this portion of revelation that you have just received of me, I am going to build my ecclesia. Look at this. What rock, what piece did Peter get that Christ said on this piece, I am going to build my church? Because it is this piece that the Bible says the stone that the builder rejected has become the foundation stone of the church, has been the most rejected stone of the body of Christ. Jesus was not hooked up on what Peter said. Many of us reading that would think, that's not powerful. You know, that's not something I could give the Nigerian, "Mm you're the son of God. Can you hear, can you even feel, what's the revelation in that? I mean, that doesn't sound like something that makes me want to go, hallelujah, whoa, glory. Nothing in that. He wasn't excited. About what Peter said. He's excited about where Peter got it from. Did you hear this? He wasn't excited about what Peter said. Because demons called him the son of God. He was excited about the source of this truth. He said, you did not get this through people. You got this through being sourced by the spirit of revelation. You are a piece of me. You got this through revelation. You got this through coming into the source of the Father. In other words, you got this through the prophetic. And because you got this through the prophetic, I am going to make the prophetic... The founding stone of my building church. You don't believe me? The Bible says in Ephesians that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Something happened in the church where we pulled the prophets out of the foundation. We lost something. We lost revelation. We lost the lamp. We lost illumination. This thing that I do here, that I've been doing all these days here, you should be doing the same thing. It should be normal in the church. It should be normal to come to the house of God and to hear from the God of the house. It should not be a strange thing. It should be a normal thing. But something went missing when Christ said, I'm going to build an ecclesia. He said, this is what he said. Let me give you another definition of what he said. I'm going to build an ecclesia on a foundation of people that can hear my voice. Just stop for a second and think about that. What in the Old Testament was the ceiling, in the New Testament is the floor. What in the Old Testament was what everybody wanted. I just want to hear the voice of God and was reserved for a special few In the New Testament, it gets to be the very floor that the Christian builds their life on. Are you getting this today? I'm giving you good news. He's telling you that you can hear his voice too. He's trying to get you to realize that you have access to the throne of God, to talk to him, to receive revelation from him. As long as you're built on the right foundation. Now lift your hands if you got that. Only if you get it. If you don't get it, just keep your hand down. Most of you, good. I'm going to move on to my next point. Because he said, I'm going to build my church on the ability to hear my voice. That's why the Bible says it was the wisdom of God to send to you apostles and prophets. Why? Because when apostles and prophets are at the foundation of the body of Christ, the church gets built up on apostolic prophetic truths. That means that the DNA that is imparted to the rest of the body is whatever is at the foundation. That means if at the foundation is the prophetic, then the people become prophetic. And this is what God says next. Because the people are prophetic, the Bible says the gates of hell... And not prevail against it a Satan proof church is a church that hears the voice of God if you want to Satan proof your church Put Christ at the foundation. Something happened when we lost the prophets in the dark ages because we had another dark age of the church where we had the evangelical revival, we had the healing revival, we had the charismatic revival, we had the Pentecostal revival with Jay Seymour and Coleman and all of those. But in the 90s, we're now seeing a restoration of the prophetic anointing. We're seeing it come back into the church. God's putting it back. But But the problem is... And the reason why it's been faced with so much opposition is because the prophetic was never meant to be an add-on. You and I were never meant to put the prophetic as an extra tool on our tool belt of things that we have. The prophetic is an integral part of the Christian DNA. I want you to hear this. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that the testimony of Jesus Christ, the word testimony means evidence. Look at your neighbor and say, Do you have Christ? Answer the question. Then look at them again if they said yes and say, Prove it to me. Are you hearing this? Because he said, the evidence that Christ is in you is not tongues. He said, the evidence that Christ is in you is prophecy. Oh, Jesus, I just messed you up right there. He said the testimony of Jesus, the proof of Jesus, the witness that Christ is there, the evidence that he's within you is that when you open up your mouth, you ought to be able to prophesy. So the reason why the prophetic is being faced with so much opposition and so much confrontation is because our Our beloved fathers, and I'm not criticizing, please hear my heart, have built their churches so pastorally and so wonderfully and so lovingly, but they have forsaken the capstone. They have forsaken the foundation stone. And the problem is, in order for you to put the prophetic back in the church, you have to start all over again and tear it down and put the prophetic there. And so most of you come into your churches and you start prophesying and they don't know where to put you. Because they don't want to start over. So they tell you, okay, you can prophesy every now and again on a Sunday, but please just sit down after that. And so now what the Holy Ghost has to do is he has to train new prophets to plant churches. Because the old folk don't want to start over. I told you, help me behave myself. My voice is blessed. <laughs> she says, eating a bag of crisps. She's, she's like at the movies right now. <laughs> you like, mm, that's so good. Hey, honey, pass the howl Greens, man, I'm enjoying this one. Oh, you just do your thing, don't worry about it. I've seen things in Nigeria that I've never seen. One is eating popcorn, another one can't smile without a pain in her hand. I've seen things that make me wonder. (laughs) your country is interesting. Our country. I'm sorry. Forgive me. So Christ has got to raise a new prophetic breed And there's a reason why a new prophetic and apostolic breed are planting churches, even though they're called to be prophetic. And the reason for that is, is because God is putting back the foundation in the church. And he's not going to permit the prophetic to be an add-on anymore. He's going to let it be the foundation. And this is why... I'm going to leave that alone. Let's move on. It's important for us that we understand that Christ is restoring the prophetic. He's restoring the body of Christ. He's building a house and he's building it the way he intended to build it. When he called it his house, he meant it. And so part of his intentionality in calling it his house means that we have to now go back and build it the right way. That means apostles and prophets are at the foundation of the building of the house of the Lord. Now, that's not a shouting message for those of you who believe God's called you to be an apostle or a prophet. You're at the floor. I'll say it again. You're the floor. You're not the roof. You're the floor. When Jesus wanted to teach his disciples how to be apostles, can I show you how he did it? He said, listen to what it said. Just read it for a second and try and read it in your Nigerian Pentecostal mind before you read it in Christ's mind. In your Nigerian Pentecostal mind, it says, Jesus, seeing he had all power over the devil and all things were made subject to him, went to the hospitals and raised all the dead. That's how we should read it. Jesus, seeing he had all power of the devil and all things were subject to him, commanded every dead human being in Jerusalem to rise that day. No. Jesus, seeing he had all power of the devil and all things were given to him, washed the disciples' feet. What a paradox. That you can have all power, you can do anything in that moment, And you decide to wash feet. He's trying to teach them. Apostles are not called to rule men. We're called to serve men. We're not called to build our thing. Our church. Our vision. You see, Paul said, my desire was for all the churches. You're not an apostle if all you care about is your denomination you're a bishop I'm not gonna get many amens if all you care about is your denomination you're not an apostle you're a bishop you're a cardinal you're your presbytery your church ecclesiology and it's great you can be an overseer of the church the Bible says it's a noble position but you're not an apostle. You're not doing a conference if the only person at your conference is your church. The intentionality of the word conference means that there is a converging of different ministries together. When the world has conference, they call Israel, Jamaica, Europe, to the conference, Brussels, all of this. When the church has a conference, the only people that show up are the members of the conference. It's not a conference. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Bible says in the book of John chapter 10 verse 27, most important scripture, a scripture that I believe has the church in a season of delay and we've got to move past this season of delay and into a place of new intentionality in how we build and that's why it's so honor the PIs and the 30s and the Moses because, and the bobbies, because they're building something in this nation that I believe is going to bless you real good. John 10:27 says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Do me a favor. We did this yesterday you qualify as long as you are a sheep you can hear God's voice I want to demystify this I hope you don't mind I'm not feeling very preaching this weekend I really just want to teach you do you mind that I just wanna lay some good foundations on the inside of you for the prophetic. There are three anatomies of the prophetic, and I call this the three anatomies of the prophetic. And you can write these down and take it home to the man. I wanna make sure that I leave you with something that if I never come back to Nigeria again, which I promise you I will by the grace of God, that you will still have this in your notepad and you'll still go back and look over it again. There are three anatomies of the prophetic. The first anatomy of the prophetic is The office of the prophet, office of the prophet, write it down. Number one, office of the prophet. This is in no chronological or systematic order. This is just uh, me giving this in any order. The office of the prophet. Number two, the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy is written about in the book of Revelation, which we've just read. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy prophecy, or the evidence that Jesus is in a room, is that people begin to prophesy. Number three, the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. These are the three anatomies of the prophetic, and they all operate differently. And and so often we have uh, confused the three and made them all the same thing, And we don't recognize when a gift is in operation, when an office is in operation, and when the Spirit is in operation. The Holy Spirit is, first and foremost, prophetic. The Holy Spirit is, first and foremost, prophetic. In essence, the first office of the Holy Ghost is to be a prophet. The first office is prophet. That's why he says in Joel 2, I'll pour up my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, people start to prophesy. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, people start to prophesy. Have you ever read the book of Matthew and you've seen Jesus in the book of Matthew breathe on the people after he rises from the dead and he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then they all fill with the Holy Ghost. How many of you have read that? How many of you have read that? One of you. How many of you have read that? One of you? How many how many? How many read that? Come on. You've read that? You've not read that. You've not. Should we go there? I. I'm sorry. I assume too many things. I assume too many things. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, It's the Book of John. I apologize. Thank God we went there. Otherwise, you'll be searching in Matthew. John 20. This is when Jesus rose again. John 20, verse 21 let's go from verse 21 jesus said to them again peace be with you as the father has sent me i also send you and when he had said this he breathed on them and said to them receive the holy spirit have you read it now thank god for jesus that day Every single one in that room was born again. I want you to understand something. Something that the pastor yesterday—please remind me of his name, so I'm not calling him the pastor. Chintok was what a wonderful name. Something uh, Chintok was referring to: the Holy Spirit was never inside an Old Testament Christian. Never, never inside. An Old Testament Christian. In fact, in the book of Genesis, he says, My spirit will not forever strive with man because he is flesh. And yet his days shall be a 120 in the earth. So God's Holy Spirit divorced man in after the fall of man. He divorced man. He tried to stay in man, but man was so sinful that he divorced man. That's why in the Old Testament, men could live to 800 and a 1,000. Because when the Holy Spirit is in you, He equips you for eternity. Men lived longer when He was there, because the Bible says He quickens your mortal body. My God, so men lived for years, and then the Holy Spirit said, "I'm done with this. They're too simple. I cannot be with them. They're just messy." I'm holy, they're disgusting. I can't stay tabernacled with these people. So their days became reduced to 120 years. That's the maximum amount of time that scientists have said human beings can actually live to. Are you hearing that? If anyone's lived past 120, please come see me and lay hands on me after this meeting. I'm telling you. The only man... That the holy spirit in the old testament tabernacled with and stayed with was a man called enoch enoch was such a man that he walked so closely with god that the bible says he fell out of time the bible says of these men the world was not found worthy he walked so close with eternity that he fell out of time have you ever walked so close with god that you just whoops can you imagine He's just walking one day. Hey, how you doing, Bob? How you doing? Bob? Bob? Wanna walk with God? It's when the Holy Ghost is in you. He's in you to put eternity in your midst. The earth was not worthy of Enoch. I'm gonna give you some mysteries that are gonna make you want to slap your mama. I'm telling you. <laughs> Enoch walked so closely with God. Elijah walked so closely with God that a chariot took him. Took him. Just like that. Out of time. These men never died. They just fell out of time. They transitioned. That's it. That's the word. And can I tell you something that's going to shock you? They did not go to heaven. Where were they? They didn't go to heaven. That's why when Jesus came back and he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, guess who was there? Huh? Moses and Elijah. These men didn't go to heaven when they died. Nobody could go to heaven in the Old Testament because the blood of Jesus was not yet shed. There are five worlds in the underworld. Write this down. I'm going to give you this for free. I'm going to give it to you for free. I'm going to give you some good stuff this weekend. I'm going to give you some meat. There are five worlds in the underworld. Five worlds. First world is called hell. Everybody knows what hell is. Hell is a place nobody wants to go. It's a place where wicked people live. Evil people live in hell. Are you hearing that? People who have sinned against God live in hell. The second place in the underworld is called The pit. The pit. Jesus spoke about the pit in the New Testament. I mean, remember when the demon said, don't send us into the pit, sorry, send us into the pigs. And then Jesus spoke about this place. And it's a place when demons leave your body, they go to a pit. That's why the Bible says when a demon has gone out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest. That arid place is called the pit. Demons don't, you can't send demons to hell. They don't live in hell. They live in the pit. Somebody said, well, where do demons come from? I'm going to shock you. Maybe I'll do a class one day called Where Demons Come From. Demons are not fallen angels. Oh, boy. He messed us up now. Demons are not fallen angels. I'm not going to share that with you now. Maybe one day. No, no, no. No, 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 no. One day, one day, not today, not today. And and I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. Listen, I promise you I'll come back and do it, but it will be a closed meeting. I'm not going to teach that in an open circle. It's just not going to happen. Demons are not fallen angels, so demons go in the pit. The third place in the underworld is called Tatarus Tartarus. Tartarus. Or Tartarus. Tartarus is that place in the book of Jude, chapter 9, that the Bible says the angels that sinned in the book of Genesis by sleeping with the daughters of men are locked up. Those angels are locked up for eternal judgment. One of those angels. I, let me not go there. I'm going to mess you up. I'm messing up. No, let me not go there. The angels that slept with men are in Tartarus. So, how many places have I said so far? Three places. Maybe the other two. The fourth place is called Gehenna or the Lake of Fire. The lake of fire. The Bible says in the end times when Christ comes, he'll put all of the all of hell and all the demons, all of them all, enter the final judgment, which is the lake of fire. The lake of fire is not the same thing as hell. It's another place where all of those who are in hell will just be tipped out. <laughs> Like cook snails. <laughs> and they'll be dropped into that lake of fire for eternal judgment. The final place is and you'll be you'll be shocked to know, um, the final place is a place called paradise. Paradise is not above, paradise is beneath. So you're like, what is this devilish man talking about? What is this demon talking about? Well, let's go there. Let's go there. Mm -mm -mm. Let's go there together, lest you accuse me of being a false preacher. The Bible says in Luke chapter 16, have you got your Bibles? Luke 16 The Bible says in verse, I'm going to go from verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at the gate full of sores and desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is synonymous, it's another name for paradise. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham. Hello? Hello? And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. Oh, Abraham. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes and looked afar off. He goes, oh, Abraham, what are you doing there? And he saw Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said, Lazarus, that he may dip in one of his fingers. He's even so wicked that he's still asking Lazarus to serve him. What a wicked man. He says, please tell Lazarus. I know you're, you're too busy. Tell that, tell that skimpish slave to come over here. Give me some water. What a wicked man. And Lazarus in his bosom, he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this way. But Abraham said, son, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and like Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf. Did you see that? The only thing separating paradise from hell was a gulf. So hell and paradise were in the same place. Are you hearing this? That's why the Bible says, the blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground because Abel didn't go up. Abel went down, but he was crying out. So God reserved a place for Old Testament saints called paradise. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross, the man looked across from him and he said, please, is there any place for me? He said, listen, son, tonight I tell you, tonight I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. And when he was in the belly of the earth, three days, he led many captives. Which captives? Which captives? some of you are looking at me like a beetle. What what is he talking about? Let's move on. That wasn't even that wasn't even where I was supposed to go. That's why the Bible says that the blood of Jesus needed to be spilt on the ground because the crown cursed them and said dust you are and dust you will return when his eternal blood spilt in the belly of the earth it freed those captives out of the earth. And all of them went to heaven with the Father, and heaven is our final resting place. Now, what's happened to paradise since? I don't know. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, hell hath enlarged itself. What many scholars actually believe is hell has taken over paradise since all those Old Testament saints are no longer there. But I don't know. That's just a nice a nice thought to think about. But anyway, and I digress. Um, in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit was never in inside anybody. Was never inside anybody because had he been inside anybody they would not have gone to paradise they would have gone straight to heaven because he the Holy Spirit is the seal the Bible says of our redemption and of our eternal life and so that's why the Bible says in the book of John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 about this person called the Holy Spirit and I say this person because so many people still refer to the Holy Spirit to this day as an it the Holy Spirit is not an it the Holy Spirit is a he and he Is the only person still in the earth today. And when you say, I hear God, most likely 10 times out of 10, you are referring to the Holy Spirit because He is the one that communicates the intentions of Jesus and the Father to you. And so the Bible says in the book of John, chapter 14 and verse 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him neither knows him, but you know him for he dwells in you and shall be late. Sorry, he dwells with you and shall be later in you. Did you hear that? He dwells. Some of you may miss that if you didn't read it properly. He dwells with you and shall be later. In you. He dwells with you and shall be, some translations say, later in you. What did he mean by later in you? He meant that until I die, I can't be in you. Until I shed my blood on the cross, I can't be in you. I can only be with you. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was with Old Testament saints. He wasn't in Old Testament saints. When the Holy Spirit is with you, he does something different from when he's in you. When the Holy Spirit's in you, he does something different than when he is upon you. Are you understanding this? Please don't fall asleep. You're not in school. in church. You're in school. This is school of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is with you, he is with you for favor. Anytime the Bible says the Lord was with somebody, favor. Favor and rest. If you're restless, it is a sign to you that you need to spend more time with God. Because when he is with you, the Bible says in Exodus 33, I will be with you and I will give you rest. When you have rest, he's with you. When you have favor, he's with you. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he though a slave was successful. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he though a prisoner was prosperous. And the Lord was with David, and it was said, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. When the Lord is with you, you succeed. This is why Moses was praying in Exodus 33. God says, I'll go ahead of you. I'll cast out every parasite, every jebusite, every pesticide, but I will not go with you because you are so stubborn. You are so stiff-necked. I may kill you on the way. That's what God said in Exodus 33. Read it. It's a true story. He says, I'll kill you if I go with you, but I can go ahead of you. But I just can't go with you. And I'll drive out everything. That means you can have successful ministry and God not be with you. You can have all of the right stuff and God's not there. And Moses had a worker strike that day. He said, God, if you don't go with me, how will it be known that we have found favor? See, when the Lord is with you, you have favor and you have rest. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The one thing you've got to cover in your life is your relationship with the Holy Spirit with you. It's very important. Any interview you go into, go in with the Lord with you. I'm telling you, people may be more qualified than you, but when he's with you, you'll get the job. I promise you. The one thing I cover more than anything is my relationship with the Lord. Second thing, speaks about the Holy Spirit up within you. When the Holy Spirit's within you, he prepares you for salvation and eternal life. Without the Holy Spirit within you, you're not going to heaven, it's impossible. Now how do I get the Holy Spirit within me? When I receive Jesus Christ, I receive the Holy Spirit. So he, the Holy Spirit, becomes the seal of my salvation. He becomes the proof of my salvation. I know in the old church we used to teach, receive Jesus and come back next week and receive the Holy Spirit, no. When you receive Jesus, you are receiving the Father and the Son because in him is all the Trinity named. Are you getting this? When I receive Jesus, I receive the Holy Spirit. I receive the Father. I receive the Trinity. I receive the Godhead on the inside of me. When Jesus came back and he said, receive the Holy Spirit, he might as well have been saying, receive me receive me. He breathed in them and they received the Holy Spirit in them and all of a sudden they could live forever. All of a sudden they could have fellowship with God. All of a sudden they could have intimacy with God. When the Holy Spirit's in you it talks about intimacy. When the Holy Spirit is on you every single time the Bible says the Holy Spirit was on somebody power. Power. This is why when I'm in a meeting and the, I am the nicest person you'll ever meet. I will hug you. I will love you because I just love people. I love people. My wife's a bit more of a pit bull over my time. She's like, tell me you got to go now. I'm like, no, I want to say hi to everyone. I love people. Put me around people. I'm a happy guy. I love people. I love me time. Don't get me wrong, but I love people. When the anointing comes, when the power of God comes, when the spirit of God comes upon me, I change because I know that the Holy Spirit with me is permanent. When the Holy Spirit's within me, it's permanent. When the Holy Spirit's upon me, it's for a moment. And if I don't use that moment, he'll lift. Hear me, don't pray for the sick when the Holy Spirit's not on you. They won't get healed. And you'd be standing there going, be healed be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, in Jesus' name. You'd be doing all the Ben Him things. Touch. And I was just looking, You know, what are you doing? Because he's not on you yet. When he is on you, you can definitely. I'm not saying don't pray for the sick by faith. Every one of us should pray for the sick by faith. God These signs shall follow those that believe. Hey, listen, you pray by faith, they'll get healed. But I'm telling you, you want to see results every time. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for him. When you wait for him and he comes upon you in that moment, then I don't care if they're in the middle of worship. You get up, grab that microphone, and start speaking healing. You heard, you saw what happened yesterday. So often, this is what we do we get in the program and we're so stuck in the program, the power of God shows up. And we're right there, everyone's crying, you can all feel the power, and then because the next thing on the schedule is the special number, and you know that special number is special. <laughs> you know what I mean by special? Whenever, your presence. <laughs> and the Holy Ghost just goes, I'm out. <laughs> and God just and God just says, Who is that singing? Close the windows, Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, glory to God. Yes, you, you gotta, you gotta learn how to move with the Holy Ghost. I don't care what's going on in that moment. When the Holy Ghost is there, you jump right in the middle of that program. And you say, I don't need to be rude, but God's healing people right now. And you just start declaring, deafness be healed, blindness be healed. All of a sudden, you'll start seeing people jump up in that moment. This is why church died. Because we flow with the program. And the Bible didn't say those that are led by the schedule are the sons of God. It said those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So I love schedules, please keep making schedules. So important. But make it with enough room. I like what your pastor said, Pastor Moses, make it, he said, don't worry, just let God throw this up. You gotta make it with enough room that if God wants to move, he'll move. We were just talking about it yesterday, we're having ice cream, we were just talking, I was like, isn't it interesting how God healed before we preached? Isn't that nice? Wouldn't it be nice if church was more like that? The demonstration happened, then the teaching came. So all of a sudden people's faith is enlarged. And now they can receive the teaching because they've seen the demonstration. Oh God, let more of that happen in this nation. So so, so, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, it's seasonal. When the Holy Spirit comes within you and in you, it's permanent. And I say that very slightly, permanent, just leave that alone and I'll move on because of time. When the Holy Spirit breathed in them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Notice he said this right at the end of John. And then sir, in the book of Acts, he says something very interesting. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And I I was so confused for so many years because I read one chapter, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then in the very next chapter, he says, Wait for the Holy Spirit. But I already received him. Why am I waiting for him? Because the Bible, the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, is the same Holy Spirit, but he's not being received in the same way as he's been received in the book of John. In the book of John, he's being received in you. In the book of Acts, he's being received on you. For you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. When he's in you, there's no power. But when he's on you, there is power. When he's on you, the sick get healed. When he's on you, blind eyes open. When he's on you, Lazarus rises from the dead. Because when the power is there and you speak in that moment, miracles start to happen. Even God knew the power of the Holy Ghost. Ghost. when in the book of Genesis what was, the, what was the father doing? He was waiting for the spirit to brood and when he felt the atmosphere change he began to proclaim let there be and there was I'm telling you when the Holy Ghost comes upon something how do you, when, when people start to do this know that something's changing when people start to do this know that something's changing when it gets so weighty I can't describe it to you but when it gets so weighty it feels like something heavy's been put on you don't you dare start preaching don't you dare start exegeting the text Get everybody on their feet and you lay hands and you declare miracles and you release signs and wonders and you proclaim the healing power of the Holy Ghost. The thing about the power of God is I can't force it. I can provoke it. How do you provoke the power of the Holy Ghost? Can I tell you how you provoke it? When you stir up yourself with tongues, you are provoking the power of the Holy Ghost to come upon you. Another way to provoke the power is Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you. Because of who you are, as I'm worshiping him. How many of you were there? Apostle Moses put up this declaration. How many of you felt the power of God as we were declaring? Something was shifting. When you read the word of God, you're provoking the power of God. When you and I speak the word, the power is being released. And when the power begins to fill the atmosphere, all of a sudden there's an explosion. And in that moment, if you speak a thing, it will be done for you hallelujah i was in a meeting one day and i called out somebody who was dealing with something i can't remember what and it was a situation or a healing thing and the person never came forward and right at the end of the service i mean god called out their name Just like yesterday he called out their detail he called out their mother was missing and didn't know where they were but I can't remember the specific sickness and I said if you're here come out she didn't come out right at the end of the service she came to me and she said Apostle Tony I'm so sorry I didn't come out I was so embarrassed can you pray for me now and I said no I said it's too late now Because at the moment I called it, Tommy wasn't there. The Holy Ghost was ready to execute at that moment. And now if I pray, it will just be the mercy of God that will do what would have happened when the power was in operation. Are you understanding what I'm saying? When Jesus was teaching one day, the Bible says, and the power of God was present to heal. And when he noticed the shift, he saw a crippled man and he said, your sins are forgiven. He said, who are you? you can forgive sins. He said which is easier to say. But when the atmosphere is right. I can say your sins are forgiven. Or I can say get up. And you'll still be healed. When the power is there. The Bible says you become a different person. I don't play when the power shows up. One of my team members back in the day said, Tommy, you get mean sometimes during those meetings. You start bossing people around. I'm not trying to boss people around. I just know that this is a limited time. Remember yesterday when we felt the atmosphere change, we're like, it's done now. Okay, let's do something else. When the atmosphere is right, I'm telling you, when you're on the streets and you sense that Holy Ghost power, operate in that moment if you hesitate for a second I was in Malawi just before I came here and we were in the bush of Blantyre and we were in a wonderful five-star hotel in the long way and the second week as we were in this hotel the spirit of God came on me more in the hotel room than he did in the crusades and I was like God what are you doing I said, like, when I needed you, you weren't there. And all of a sudden I'm in the hotel and the power is there every I'm trying to watch movies. You know what I'm talking about. You're just on your brain. And the power just shows up right in the middle of pride and prejudice. <laughs> and all of a sudden I get a knock on my door and it's one of the hotel staff and he said I hear there's a prophet in this house I said yes there is come in and I prophesied over him and I said the Lord says and this and this and this the next day he went and called two of his staff members and they got prayed for the next day he called more of his staff members and before the end of the week half the staff in the hotel got prophesied over because when the power is there you got to move in the moment. Look at your neighbor and say, move in the moment. Don't wait for a church service. You move in the moment. Move with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's when the Spirit of God is upon you. When the Bible talks about the Spirit of prophecy, I've got to close this. When the Bible talks about the Spirit of prophecy, he's talking about the Holy Ghost coming upon you. Have you ever been in a room and everybody is worshiping, and all of a sudden somebody at the back, usually a blessed auntie, let's <laughs> ah, the, the Lord. That's Jamaican, sorry. Let's say the Lord. It's time to change. I'm changing your season. <laughs> Can I tell you what that is? That's the spirit of prophecy. When the Holy Ghost is in a room, people who have never prophesied before will all of a sudden start prophesying. Because the Bible says in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, you'll come into the company of the prophets and the Spirit of God will come upon you and you will prophesy with them. And when all who knew Saul formerly saw him, said, what's happened to Saul? Is he also among the school prophets? No, he just came into the right atmosphere. Because when you come into the company, you start to prophesy. The spirit of prophecy is very important. In the book of Numbers, chapter 11 or chapter 12, I can't remember which one, and we don't have time to go there now. The Bible says Moses and his people were in the camp. And as long as they were in the camp, they prophesied. But when they left the camp, they could no longer prophesy because the spirit of prophecy is locational. When he steps into an atmosphere through worship, he only engages with people within that atmosphere. The moment you leave leave that atmosphere, you can no longer prophesy. Look at your neighbor and say, get in the right company. Come on, nudge your neighbor next to you. Say, get in the right company. And listen, listen, when you get the right company, you make sure you stay there. Why? Because if you want to prophesy and you don't want to be around the prophetic, you ain't ever going to prophesy. But when I can take a hold of your hand and I can take a hold of your hand, The power of the Holy Ghost will come upon all of us because we're all swimming in the same atmosphere. And when we're all in the same atmosphere, we can all prophesy because there is no junior Holy Ghost. No junior. It's a spirit of prophecy. It's a spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy. prophecy. The spirit of prophecy, some say the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy is so powerful that even when Saul had a demon in him, when he came into the atmosphere of the prophetic with a devil living in him, the spirit still came upon him and he prophesied naked. From morning till night. He lay there prophesying. Wow. Do you know your inheritance? I implore you, do these prophetic gatherings once a year. But gather as prophets as often as you can. Because you ignite something in the atmosphere. Just by your coming together. The next is the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is a gift given by the Holy Spirit. And not everybody has it because the Holy Spirit administers it. Everybody can prophesy by the spirit of prophecy, but not everybody has the gift of prophecy. The Bible says the gift of prophecy is to be eagerly coveted. Why? Because it's the only gift that is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. In other words, the gift of prophecy will build people up. First Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 12. Read it when you get home. It is the gift that builds up the body of Christ. And it's the gift that should be used in the church more than ever. Why? Because it is the gift that saves souls. It is the gift that redeems people the Bible says that when you're all in a room and you're all speaking in tongues and the outsider comes in will they not think you are crazy have you ever been in a church and decided for a second to be an outsider know about you, but I'm a bit mischievous. When I'm in a church, I pretend for a second sometimes that I'm just somebody who's new to this thing. And then I see in the back someone's wig fall off. And I see in the right corner somebody mm-hmm. somebody falling in, in some plie kind of form as if the Holy Ghost has got them on a spinner. I see somebody running around the room. I see somebody else. I see somebody sweating. Can you imagine? The Bible says they think you're crazy. The book of Acts, when they saw these men speaking in tongues, the only thing they could say was these men are drunk. Because on the inside, it's but to anybody looking outside it's messy I'm gonna share this very crude story and please hear this with a with, with the right intention and I hope this works you know there was a man looking out his window true story and he observed a couple having uh, sex and it's an actual thing so please take this the right way and he said something in himself he said they didn't know the window was open to them what they were doing was a very intimate act to him what they were doing was pornography are you hearing what I'm saying? To them on the inside, this was him making love to his wife. To them on the outside, it looked crazy. And I'm not trying to synonymize sex with tongues, but tongues is such an intimate thing between you and the Holy Ghost. But when the outsider sees you speaking in tongues, the only interpretation they can have is either you are out of your mind or you are drunk. But the Bible says, yet when one prophesies or speaks a mystery or a revelation, the Bible says all are convicted. How many of you heard a prophecy yesterday and you felt like it could have been a prophecy for you? Right? Because when somebody prophesies, the Bible says everybody gets convicted. And the Bible says they're brought before the throne of God and their hearts are convicted immediately. And they say, surely God is among you. How else do you think he's going to convict the world of sin? It's through the spirit of prophecy. So how do I get the gift of prophecy. You covet it. What do I mean by covet it? Be jealous for it. Jealous. Be very jealous for it. Desire the gifts, but the gift of prophecy, the Bible says, covet the gift of prophecy. When you see it, covet it. Earnestly desire it. Above all the other gifts, desire the gift of prophecy. How do I release the gift of prophecy? You release the gift of prophecy actually through the gift of tongues. When you speak in tongues, you're stirring up the other gifts. I'm telling you, sometimes when that office isn't on my life, and I know when it's not there. Sometimes when that office, I'm not upflowing from that office, I know I need to reach into that gift. It's usually when I'm very tired. And he says, God, just one more person. All of a sudden I start seeing visions. Why? Because of the gift of the Spirit on the inside of me. When you stir up your gift, you stir it up by speaking in tongues. Then when you speak in tongues, you wait on the Lord to energize your gift and you listen to what he's saying. You know, it takes tremendous patience to be a prophet. Tremendous patience and tremendous focus. I probably have the best focus of any young man I've ever known. And I'm not being arrogant there. You know, I have many weaknesses, but one of my strengths is focus. I can be in any service, and the worship can be terrible, and I can still focus on God. And that takes skill, takes time, takes practice to, to be anywhere and just kind of zone in and disconnect from everything you're hearing around you, all the noise, and just zone in on God. That's why the Bible is be still and know that I'm God. Stillness is a skill. Especially in this texting day and age. Stillness is skill. But when you master the art of stillness, it's in the stillness that God speaks. Out of the stillness, He speaks. So that is the gift of prophecy. I, I'm so sorry. You know, I've gone all over the place. Let me round this up. The office of prophecy, I'll talk about another time. Let me round this up. How to hear God's voice. What does God sound like? First of all, you don't hear God's voice. You discern God's voice. 1 Samuel 3 verse 8 says, The Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli discerned. Somebody say discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. The voice of God is not heard, the voice of God is disowned. What does that mean? It means sometimes God will sound like your dad. It means sometimes he'll sound like your mom. It means sometimes he'll sound like you. Somebody say, what does God sound like? Everywhere I go, all over the world, all over the world, people ask me, what does he sound like? Can I tell you what he sounds like? He sounds like Tony talking back to Tony. I know that doesn't sound very mystical to some of you and you're waiting for some big revelation. And I am God, 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 God. Call that person, 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 person. What does God sound like? He sounds like Tommy talking to Tommy. That's what he sounds like. He sounds like me talking back to me. And in the information highway of the brain, can I tell you, to this day, some of you can still hear your parents in your head. You leave a cup on the table, you just hear your mom say, Tommy, look! You're living on your own and you're married and you're still hearing your mama's voice. What's wrong with you? (laughs) But it's true. We still hear voices. In the information highway of the head, we can hear many voices. And listen, I know Hollywood says that um, Satan showed up to Jesus like a snake. I tell you, Satan showed up to Jesus not as a snake. Satan showed up to Jesus playing the voice of God. And he had to discern God's voice from the enemy's voice. Get out of the Hollywood mentality. He was trying to discern. That's why he said, what you're saying is true, but it's written. So how can this be God if he's going against what he wrote down? Are you hearing this? Then Satan upped the game and he started quoting scripture. He said, hey, throw yourself down here. It's written, he'll give his angels charge over you. And Jesus is at the edge of the cliff and he's thinking, yeah, you're right. And he stops for a second and he goes, hang on a second. But it's also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. What was he doing in that wilderness? He was learning to discern the voice of God. What did Satan sound like to Jesus? He sounded like Jesus' thoughts talking back to Jesus. Well, tell me, how do you know this? When Peter shows up to Jesus and says, No, Lord, you heard it yesterday. You will not surely die. Did you hear what Jesus said? Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter Peter never one day thought, Hang on, I'm not possessed by Satan. I don't look like the exorcist. My head isn't turning 360. Why are you calling me Satan? That's a bit over the top. Right? But Jesus knew that his thoughts were being demonically derived because he had practiced in the wilderness for 40 days discerning the voice of God. If you wanna get good at discerning the voice of God, I don't know I'm not gonna get many amens on this first one, fast. <laughs> and I don't mean fruit pastel fast and uh, McDonald's fast. And I'll only drink water instead of Coca-Cola fast and, and 6 p.m. fast. And three o'clock fast because I know your fast. I know your fasting hacks. I know you. I know you. You'll say fasting breaks at 6 p.m. So you'll sleep till 5 30. I know you. So you'll sleep till 5 30. And then when it's time to break, you'll wake up and you'll shandada. Hey, yabadabadu. Hey. And then you'll rise, kill, and eat. I know you. When I say fast, I mean fast. Why? And somebody said to me, I'm going to fast with you, but I'm going to do a Facebook fast. I said, come here, honey. I said, fasting Facebook is supposed to be what you do when you're fasting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Can I tell you why fasting is to deprive yourself of food? Because sin entered through food. Man lost spirituality because of what they ate. Abstinence is sustenance. When I can abstain from food, I drown out the voice of my spiritual appetite. I drown out the voice of my physical appetite. I hear that flesh screaming, and one day during that fast, your flesh will no longer scream. I've done many 21-day fasts. So I say, well, how did you do it? Can I tell you, when you know what you're doing when you're fasting, it makes fasting a lot easier. The first week of any fast is the hardest, very hard. In fact, you pick up on a supernatural scent. You can smell suya from, you can smell suya from Abuja. And even if it's not the mainland kind, it's the one that you don't know if it's a dog or a cat. But your heart's still saying, "Mm, this is good, it's suya. First week is the hardest. Everybody's offering you food on the first week. I don't know why. Have you noticed... Everybody buys, everybody does takeaway that day. That week you're fasting is your favorite takeaway place that's happening that week. Or it's somebody's birthday. Or somebody's getting married. And you have to show up at the thing and everyone's passing chicken. And they're passing it under your nose. and And drool is just, you're just salivating. Right? First week is the hardest. You're in the most pain. Your flesh is crying out the most. Physically, your body has not yet gone into a state called ketosis. Ketosis happens after the second week. In ketosis, your body starts to send information to your brain that it's no longer feeding you at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Hunger happens because you programmed your brain to believe that breakfast, lunch, and dinner is the time you eat. When you you shut off food, your brain still communicates at those times to eat, and that's why you have hunger. And that's why you say stuff like I'm starving, hyperbole. You're not starving. You haven't been to starving places to know what starving is, but your brain is communicating something that it used to receive. So when you shut down what it's communicating, within the second week you'll go into ketosis. Your brain will stop communicating that, and your brain will instead go into the fat cells around your body, all the stored stuff, and it will start getting its food from there. A human being can last for 40 days off of its own body fat. I'm telling you facts here. You can last, the longest fast I ever did was, I fasted for 32 days, no food, no food. The human body can last for 40, and I would have gone longer, but I was preaching that day and I almost died. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I'm sure dust was just flying out of my mouth, and I almost died. But, you know, I would have gone longer. But when you do that, what are you doing? You're drowning out the voice of you, and you're learning to discern the Holy Spirit. While you're fasting, eat. What do you eat? The Word of God. The Bible says the Word of God is food jesus said my food and my drink is to do the will of my father do the will of god while you're fasting why it will feed you i promise you it's the weirdest thing but you can be fed off of the off of doing the word and the will of god as you're meditating on the scripture all of a sudden your eyes will begin to see things that it never saw before why because you're drowning out the voice of your flesh there are no amens in this message some of you look at i'm not doing this you can't keep talking. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I'm not going to do this. Hey, I'm just speaking to those of you who want to get closer in discerning. Learn to fast. Fasting won't kill you. I know they told you. Drink plenty of water. Plenty of water. Drink so much water. I'm telling you, drink water. And if you can, drink uh, juices that are not acidic while you're fasting. Chew chewing gum, please. For at least 10 minutes. (laughs) Don't chew it too much, otherwise your body starts thinking you're feeding it. But chew it for at least 10 minutes every day. Have mercy on people, I beg. Because all the toxins Mm -hmm. will start to rise in your tongue and you'll feel, I mean, you have a faucet, you feel a lather on your tongue. That's all the toxins that you've built up from hamburgers and all these things that have been tied up in your colon, now coming out of your tongue. That's why your breath begins to smell foul. So fasting is very healthy. You don't need fit tea or booty tea or all of these detox teas. Just fast, your body will start to smell a zinky metal color because all the toxins are leaving your skin and leaving your tongue. By the time you reach the third week, I'm telling you, you'll be so in the zone focused on the Holy Spirit, it's unbelievable. It is unreal. I mean, you can hear God like you can hear the person standing next to you. But you can also hear the voice of the enemy. Let me not let me just play let me just say that for a second. And they both sound very similar. And they both quote scripture. But you you develop a gift that you need to hear the voice of God, and it's called discernment. The prophetic and discernment work together. When I'm closing my eyes and I'm prophesying over somebody. I am, I am leaning on the discernment of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me to tell which one is God and which one is me. And sometimes I'll get it wrong. Sometimes I'll get it right. The times I get it right, I just get myself fear and a pat on the back. Sometimes, you know. But you learn and you get better at it to the point that you, you don't make mistakes anymore. So what are the signs of the voice of God? I've got to close with this. I keep saying i got to close, i got to close, but i got to close. i got to close with this. What does, it, what does a vision look like? For those of you who want to know what a vision looks like, uh, uh, hearing the voice of God sounds like God speaking back to me. A vision looks like God using my imagination to speak to me. I know this is an overly spiritual. When I say I had a vision, God just used my imagination to speak to me. So, number one, how do you discern the voice of God? Number one, heartburn. 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 Yes, indigestion, I said it. Heartburn. Write it down, heartburn. I'm going to talk about it. The Bible says in the book of uh, uh, Jeremiah 23, verse 25, it says, no, let's look at Luke 24 first. Luke 24 says this in verse 13. Now that same day two men were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came walking among them, but they were kept from recognizing him, and that's what the prophetic is like. They were kept from discerning him. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if Uh, They were going further. They urged him strongly, stay with us. It was nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay. He sat at table, took bread and broke it, then disappeared from their sight. I'm just going fast here. They asked each other, and then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us? Heartburn is the first evidence that it's God and not you. Jeremiah 23, verse 25, I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I dreamed a dream, I dreamed a dream. How long will this continue and be in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name. ancestors. is dear. Let the prophet who has a dream recount his dream. Let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what is straw to the grain is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord. God's word is like a fire. Jeremiah 20 verse 9. I said I will not remember his name anymore or speak anymore in his name. Then in my heart it became like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I grew wary of holding it back. And I said to myself, I cannot endure it. How many of you have ever been on a bus or somewhere and you hear God say, go speak to that person? All the time. How many you remember when you didn't do it and all of a sudden it felt like fire in your heart it just kept burning that's the voice of God when you get better at releasing that and recognizing that burning when when it's you speaking it doesn't burn I remember being in Scotland I was standing in front of this young woman and I just was prophesying to her like I was prophesying to you guys and prophesying different things. She was just looking like this. She was like a 12-year-old girl. I'm prophesying to her. She's looking like this. And in my head, I'm just hearing the word, Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie. And I'm thinking, why am I hearing this word, Stephanie? So I just ignored it and moved on. And and all of a sudden, it just burned on me, Stephanie. I'm prophesying to the next person, but I'm getting distracted. Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie. I turned back and I said, I don't know if the word Stephanie means anything to you and she goes that's my name and in that moment she said the only thing I wanted to hear God say was my name I just wanted to know that he knew me I was in a meeting one day the camera person was a woman and she was recording and as I was preaching all of a sudden I leave the meeting and all of a sudden as I'm walking out the door I keep hearing her pop up in my heart it's not your fault it's not your fault it's not your fault it's not your fault she asked me to prophesy over I prophesy I glaze over a message but that word it's not your fault it's still burning in my heart and she kind of walks away says thank you for the word you know and walks away and as I'm leaving the door I turn around and I say uh 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 lady just quickly I just want you to know the spirit of God says it's not your fault she fell face flat on the floor right in front of me, i said what's wrong she said my mother died giving birth to me and for the longest time i thought it was my fault and i just wanted to hear god say it's not your fault can i tell you you got to learn to listen to that heartburn because the more you learn to listen to it the better you get at releasing the voice of god to others i'm sure some of you are in this room thinking gosh you mean that time was you speaking to me yeah listen, we get better at it, we practice, and then we release it more, and we, we get more confident as we grow. First thing, heartburn, learn to recognize that. Number two, hammers on. God's voice hammers on. Remember the testimony I just shared just now. The voice of God will continue to hammer on, and hammer on, and hammer on. A couple of years ago, I had a vision And in this vision, President Barack Obama came to me, the then president, and he sat in the kitchen with me, and he said to me, I'm gonna be the next president of the United States. And he looked so arrogant, so cocky, I just didn't like him. When I woke up from the dream, have you ever had a dream about your spouse doing something they shouldn't have been done and then being really angry with your spouse as if they did something? How do you know what I'm talking about? The rest of you will cast out the lying spirit later. But, but I've been there, and I, you know, I woke up in the stream, and I just didn't like Obama. I had a complete dislike towards him. My dad said to me, because my dad knows I'm a prophet, he says to me, hey, so, so who's going to win the presidency of the United States? I said, Obama's going to win. And he said, yes, the first black person. I said, trust me, he's going to ruin the nation. I said that to my dad. And my dad said, what do you mean he's going to ruin the nation? He says, he's the first black president. I said, he is going to lead the moral decadence of America. Well, a couple of years later, in 2016, early, uh, sorry, late 2015, I had another dream. But this time, I was in the same kitchen, but Donald Trump came to me. And he said, hey, tell me, thank the church for making me the president of the United States of America. And I felt really happy. I sat in the table with him. We had a whole conversation. I mean, we were talking for hours on end. I wake up from the dream. I... I, I, I And i sat on it for the longest time because i knew if i shared this prophecy i was going to lose friends i knew church people weren't going to like me i knew people were going to cancel on me but all of a sudden as i'm going through the month this word keeps hammering on in me this vision it just it will i i started to lose sleep how many of you have ever been there where god speaks to you so much you just can't sleep anymore it even got a bit demonic after a while. All of a sudden, everything just went demonic. All my dreams were demonic after that, just not right. So I just called, I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? So I called one of my friends from a television station and I said, hey, um, I need to put this word out and I need to put it out on your channel so I can't take it back. I need you to broadcast it before the election, start off." And so he brought me on his program. You can find the video on YouTube. And he was trying to be so kind to me during the interview. And he, you know, he, before the interview, he said, Listen, let's just try and be safe because I know you're going to lose some friends. Maybe we can suggest Trump is going to be president and not say it. And, you know, and so here's me on the video and I'm being brave. Hey, you know, the Lord showed me a dream. Trump is going to be the next president of the United States of America. And he said, Oh, maybe what the Lord means. Is that if the church prays, church, church, because you saw that he's saying thank the church for making me the president, so maybe that's what it means. And I was like, yeah, okay, great. When he put that video out, put it out on television, put it out on thing. I mean, I got hate mail. I got so much hate mail. False prophet this, false prophet that. Somebody actually sent me a video of a well-known prophet. I'll share with these guys, and the video uh, was showing uh, a, a well-known prophet saying Hillary is going to be president. So they were trying to correct me. Um, so when Trump became the president of the United States, I lost a lot of church friends during that time, but I was glad I obeyed the voice of God because it opened up nations after that. Uh, That prophecy really opened up nations in a very peculiar way because it was such a national thing that God did, and um, uh, you know, the Bible says it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but it's the, it's the glory of kings to search it out. So you get honored when you search out and you reveal secret things. God begins to use it to elevate you. And so I realize secret things are part of my inheritance. And as revealing it, God begins to elevate Uh, my status, not so Tommy can be glorified, but so God can be glorified. So it was from then that I was called to the United Nations and I keep going back each year to prophesy to ambassadors and diplomats. Why? Because when you release secret things, God begins to raise your status. And so, so things that God gives you are for your honor. Or the Bible puts it like this, your gift makes room for you and brings you before important people. And so you and I have got to get used to energizing our spiritual gifts and engaging with the Holy Spirit for them. I'll never forget the time I was in Scotland and I prophesied that a party that Scotland was averse to was going to win the elections and that David Cameron uh, was going to be the next prime minister of the United Kingdom. And then I prophesied that David Cameron would lead the United Kingdom into a Brexit but I didn't call it a Brexit I called it an exodus from Europe And so when I gave the word in this church everybody was angry with me because they all voted for labor and they all called me you are even you can't do that on our pulpit you can't come here and start sharing stuff about a different party to us you're supposed to be a prophet not a politician pick which one you want to be hey prophets spoke into uh, political matters they spoke into economic matters you know God is not limited to the church building he he's the God of the world he's the ruler of the universe he'll speak into anything he wants to speak into so here I am and I give this prophecy and all all of a sudden after I gave this prophecy and Brexit happened and you know I, I said that the UK was going to leave the European Union by a margin and I put this out again on, on television on social media and you can catch it on on the internet after that um, I got called by the largest television station in the UK the BBC and they called me on to the program to talk about the future of Great Britain can I tell you what happens when you begin to reveal secret things God begins to elevate your status And so prophetic people... The prophetic is your gift. It is your access to new doors of influence. As Joseph began to use his gift in Potiphar's house, it elevated him to a new echelon that he would not have had authority in had God not given him the gift. Some of you are waiting to have the right amount of money to influence people. You don't need the right money. You just need to use your gift. And as you begin to use your gift, God begins to promote your influence. That's a good place to say amen. Now, um, so hammer on. God's voice will hammer on. Jeremiah twenty-three, twenty-nine, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Psalm sixty-two, verse eleven. God has spoken once, twice. Have I heard this? That power belongs to God. Job thirty-three, verse fourteen. Indeed, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. So God will speak more than once to you. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. Genesis 46, verse 2. Genesis 41, verse 32. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. If you've ever had what I call a reoccurring dream, it means that what God is about to do is going to happen imminently. And a reoccurring dream is not a repetitive dream. A repetitive dream is the same dream twice. A reoccurring dream is the same dream explained two different ways. And so if you find yourself having the same dream explained two different ways in the same night, it means God's going to do it imminently. Number three, wait, wait. Matthew 11 verse 30. W-E-I-G-H-T. Matthew 11 verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jeremiah 23:38. But since you say the burden of the Lord, therefore thus saith the Lord, because you say this word, the burden of the Lord, and I have sent you saying, you shall not say the burden of the Lord. People in the Old Testament called the word of the Lord, the burden of the Lord. Why? Because God's word weighs something. Have you ever been about to release a word and then you just keep your mouth shut from releasing the word? and then the word gets heavier on you that's the voice of god how many of you now are beginning to connect some dots and you just go oh you're speaking to me there and oh my gosh you're speaking to me there and oh my gosh that was him god's voice is a weight and so as i'm prophesying over people i'm constantly weighing in my spirit to say which one's heavier is it this one or, or is it this one? And that's where sometimes you'll see me go, and if you'll let me take a little bit of a risk, it's because there's something I've just had in my spirit that I don't yet fully trust, but it weighs more than something else. Are you following what I'm saying? And so I, I go with it. You take a risk. When you feel that weight, you take a risk, and you sense it. Truth weighs more than lies. I mean, you have children, you know when they're lying to you because it feels light. It just, it doesn't have any weight to it. You just look at it, so you investigate some more. So where were you? I was, at, I was at Jacob's house studying. No, really. Jacob's house. Who's Jacob's mom? And you're investigating. Why? Because it just, it doesn't have weight. How I many you know what I'm talking about? It's the same thing with the voice of God. Number four, God's voice is a whisper. It's a whisper. So often God does not shout. And he does shout, but often he doesn't shout. And I know many of you are waiting to hear that voice that goes, I have called you for such a time as this. Or you're waiting for that burning bush experience. God, if you're real, just show up to me now in my room like a burning bush. And can I tell you, God will not do that because that is Old Testament and it's no longer intimate. And I know you guys don't fully, you're like, well, why wouldn't he ever do that if he did it for the Old Testament saints? Because we're called to something better. We're not called to God on a mountain anymore. We're called to God in us. And that's why yesterday I said, You are God's Mount Zion. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 18 says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom, and a whirlwind, and the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which was such that those who heard it begged that it should no longer be spoken to them. So that means the New Testament, God's not going to speak to you like this, 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 this. You're not going to see lightning and thunder and angels. The Bible says, those who heard that voice said, please, tell them to stop. Says the New Testament, God doesn't speak like that anymore. It says, you're not called to that stuff anymore. That doesn't mean you won't have those visitations and experiences. My God, I've had one or two that have shaken the life out of me. But it's not the norm of the New Testament anymore. The norm of the New Testament is the Holy Spirit speaking inside you. And so we've got to get better at discerning that voice. So he says, you've not been called to that. You've not been called, for they could not bear the command, even if it, even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I'm full of fear and trembling. That you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, myriad of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and the mediator of a new covenant, the sprinkling of the blood, which speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Isn't that awesome? We're partakers of a new covenant, and this new covenant is in our spirits. It's not in a mountain. It's not on some place. It's in our spirits. So how does God speak in our spirits? God speaks in our spirit through a whisper. Psalm 46, verse 10, he said, Be still and know that I am God. It takes intense focus. I started a program called Prophetic Voice TV. You can find it on Facebook. Just search Prophetic Voice TV, or find me, Tommy O'Reilly, and you can find that page there. And um, it's a uh, it's a powerful prophetic training platform to train people live each Wednesday. Myself or Dr. Sharon are on there training people live to hear the voice of God, and we do so many different classes on there. But as as um, as uh, uh, w- w- as we were running this program, we also started a program called The Watch. And I remember The Watch was a 5 a.m. program that we did do for one hour on our channel each day, for one hour. And as we're sitting on the program, I would start hearing the voice of God speak to me about nations before the program. Now, people didn't understand, so I would hear God speak to me about the European Union and how Northern Ireland was gonna rise up to try and halt it. The same day that afternoon, a newspaper article would come out and people would send it to me. Uh, Uh, island halt EU thing. Then I saw a terrorist bomb in New York, and I prophesied it on the watch. That same afternoon, terrorist plot foiled in New York. I mean, literally, morning prophecy, afternoon execution. And people said, how did you do that? I had to wake up. People didn't know. I had to wake up an hour before the watch. And I had to wait on God. Now, what does waiting look like? I will wait for you, wait for you, I don't mind waiting, I don't mind waiting. I don't mind waiting on you, Lord. I don't mind waiting. I don't mind waiting. And then all of a sudden, I'll get something. Whoa. And what do I get? What does it look like? It looks like God using my imagination. Wow. Wow. And if I'm not careful, I can dismiss it as a daydream. But it's like, wow. And I'll start to write down what he's showing me. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Northern Ireland. Okay. Okay. And listen, the reason I write it down is because it's only believable to me when I write it. That's why the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 says, write down the revelation. So, But to do that, Habakkuk 2 says you've got to station yourself. You've got to stand at your watch. You've got to wait to see what he will say. So it's not all praying. Sometimes you just got to stop and stop speaking in tongues and start waiting and go, uh uh-huh. And then you got to go, is that me or is that God? Mm, that feels like me. It doesn't weigh as much. Mm, maybe I'll put that one on the side for now and, and I'll tell this one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, wow. Whoa, that weighed heavy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to ignore that one. Oh, but it keeps hammering on in me. I'll put it back on the page. I'll write it down again. That's how it looks. So when five o'clock comes, they put powder on my face. They put it on my nose. I look like I've been... I've just woken up fresh from sleep. People don't know I'm naked because I've been, I've been hearing God for one hour. And I say, the Lord says in Northern Ireland I'm doing this. And the Lord says in New York I'm doing this. And people don't know for one hour I'm sitting in my room. And truth be told, i minded waiting. But God shows up when he's ready, not when you're ready. And so you and I have to create enough room for him to show up. They used to say of Catherine Coleman that she was the most boring woman in the world when she'd teach sometimes. Because she used to share stories about her family and she used share stories about her children. She's her grandchildren and her relatives. And people just fall asleep. And Betty Hinn used to say, everybody just fall asleep. But when the power of God showed up on that woman and she said, just a The whole room came alive. Everybody woke up. Because God shows up when he's ready, not when you're ready. And God may show up when you close the service. Wow. But God is a whisper. He's a whisper. When God speaks, he is a whisper. Um, 1 Kings 19, verse 12. Read it when you get home. It's a powerful story about how Elijah began to seek the Lord. And as Elijah was trying to seek the Lord, he was weighing things. He was like, God, what is this? There was an earthquake, the Bible says. He's like, God, is that you? Because that's what it looks like. We all have to do it. I know we look really good when we're standing up here and we're prophesying. And you're like, oh my gosh. But you don't know. We're in our hotel room, going. Please, God, just give me anything. (laughs) I'll just take a little bit. (laughs) And so, so Elijah's there, and the Bible says there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then the and I wish I could talk about the difference between what he was doing there and the office, because what he's doing there is different. What Elijah's doing there is not called being a prophet. Because when you're a prophet, the word of the Lord comes to you. In your office, you don't have to fight for the word. When you're not in your office, you have to contend for the word. And people don't know how to contend for the word. Some of the greatest prophets in the world are the laziest prophets in the world. And what do I mean by that? There's coming a time where Jesus is going to come and he's going to look at some people. But we prophesied in your name. And he's going to go, but I didn't know you. Why? Because you were so invested in your office that you missed your intimacy. Did you hear that? You were so invested in being the prophet to the nations that you missed time spent with me. You allowed yourself to think that what came to you by grace was your relationship with me. And so Elijah still has to contend and prophets, whether you're an office or you're a gift or you're a spirit, you still have to learn to contend for a word. You have to learn to contend for words for nations. How do you get words? There are people who get words of knowledge for healing. Can I tell you why you only get words of knowledge for healing? Because you built your whole life strengthening that muscle and contending for it. If you contend for a different area, Oh, God, I want you to speak to me about nations. God will only speak to you about what you care about. Yes. Oh, yes. It's the truth. And so when, when if I want to, can I give you the best tool to start your day? God, what interests you today? God, who do you want to speak to today? God, what do you want to talk to me about today? When you become that kind of prophet, God, God will tell you, I want to tell you about the economy. And all of a sudden, not even a business person but you're prophesying that the dow is going to drop and you don't even know what the dow is i was i was in a meeting one day and i'm prophesying and i'm saying and you can watch this on 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 my instagram page i'm i'm saying something i said i don't know what a A ben is a ben a ben is a ben i'm just saying a ben and i don't know what it is and Uh, Oh, oh, I think it's somebody's name, Aben, Aben. And this Indian guy comes out and he says, Aben. (laughs) I said, is it A-B-E-N? He said, yeah, Aben. I said, I'm so sorry. Because when you contend with God, he begins to release things to you that you don't even know exist. You don't even know those things are real and all of a sudden God begins to give you words that aren't even in your vocabulary. And you're releasing them. Why? Because you are strengthening areas you're not accustomed to. And as you begin to strengthen those areas, God begins to speak more to you. But his voice is like a whisper. And that means you have to develop the discipline called stillness. And many people... Find it hard to be still. Still means that you create an atmosphere. Still means that you find a place in your house that's just you and the Holy Ghost. Still means that you learn to switch your phone off, not vibrate. Because can I tell you, nothing stops the presence of God more than a vibrating phone. When you're in that place of folks, all of a sudden you're right there. and You know when you're right there and all of a sudden you hear, your eyes open, you're like, I wonder if that's Tukey calling me. And you get distracted. Distraction for one second, you'll kill that flow. How often should I spend listening to the still, small voice of God? I challenge you, at least one hour every day. At least one hour every day, you practice that voice. You practice the presence of God. You learn to practice the stillness of God. You learn to practice the peace of God. And as you're practicing that peace, all of a sudden, the Lord begins to visit you. The Lord begins to speak to you. All of a sudden, it gets to a point where the Lord will expect you to be there. And you're no longer working, He's waiting for you. I'm telling you, it's so real. I remember one day, I got so stuck in the presence of God. I was talking to the Lord, and 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 the Lord was speaking to me. I said, could you be quiet? I'm trying to talk to the Lord. Do you you know what I'm saying? (laughs) He's talking to me. I'm like, shh, be quiet. I'm trying to focus on God. But I got so used to having to struggle and strive for his presence that I didn't know I tapped into a place where he was just waiting for me now. You can come into that atmosphere of relationship with the Lord where the Lord is just waiting for you. And when you reach that place of intimacy with him, You know every time he steps into the room and it's so glorious when he does, and it's so awesome. And that still, small voice begins to speak. How does that still, small voice sound like? Can I tell you what it sounds like? It sounds like a breath. It just sounds like this. It's so still that it calms your soul. It's so small that if you make, if the worship music goes too loud, you can miss it. It's so still that as you begin to write down, journal, what the Lord is sharing with you, you can I tell you, some of you are like, but I don't know if it's God. Can I tell you the only way you'll know it's God? In the book of Matthew, they said, you go and get vials and you fill them with water. And you take those water jugs before the master of the ceremony and you pour them out. And indeed, when they poured them out, the water was poured out as wine. You'll only know what's in you when you pour it out. I'm telling you, I've heard words so stupid, made no sense to me at all. I was invited with Dr. Sharon to a Church of England. I know, you never, Church of England is like the most monastic church the most radical they can be in church of england is to stand up and to sing with gusto the praise songs oh great thou art and then sit down that's the most radical but the reason we're invited was because the one of the pastors of the church of england was a lesbian 'Cause they were starting to accept LGBT in the Church of England. They've just started that, so she was she was homosexual. She comes to the meeting, we prophesied to her, and after she's talking to us about the thing we prophesied about, she her heart gets changed in that moment. And she says, You gotta come to the Church of England and share this prophetic stuff. And we were like, Yeah. But inside I was like, No, so we show up at the Church of England and there's these elders, you know, elders. I'm talking the white British kind. Snotty looking. And we're training them on hearing them. But we're being more basic than this. Very basic things we're sharing. We're trying not to scare them. And then it's time to break into groups and to practice hearing the voice of God. I'm going to give you one practice session in a minute and we're breaking into groups, and I partner with and all of a sudden I don't want to partner with this one guy and Dr. Sharon says hey tell me why don't you partner with him and this one guy is the snootiest looking elder in the whole group and I sit right next to him everything in my heart is sinking just sitting next to this guy have you ever sat next to somebody that makes you lose your faith I mean just their faith everything dies so I sat next to him, and he even said to me, "Listen, I don't believe in this stuff. I've never done this stuff. I don't want to do this. So, so you can try and do whatever you want to do and prophesy, but I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it." So I said, "Thanks, Gee." So, so I closed my eyes, and in my heart, I'm praying in tongues. But what, what I, if I could interpret my tongues, help, really, anything, give me some. And I said, "God, give me some." So good that this man will know, be no, 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 that you exist and you're real and you're speaking and you're more than just a religious dead God. And all of a sudden, this is the vision I saw. Bearing in mind, my imagination, and I already have, I grew up with a very wild imagination. Up here is the wild, wild west, okay? There's crazy in this place. So God is God speaks into my crazy. And all of a sudden, I see this man, and he's on a bicycle, doing the, the bicycle. Uh, uh, no, first he's running, sorry, doing the marathon. And then he, his knee hurts. I see him touching his knee. And then he gets on a bicycle. This is my imagination. Then he gets on a bicycle, and then his knee hurts. And then he gets on a motorbike. Ooh, old man, old man, the man you think wouldn't ever have a motorbike. He's a oh. I was like, really, God? I I need his name. I need his surname. I need his debit card pin so he'll know. And this is what you show me. So I opened my eyes, and he's looking at me. And I said to him, if you'll let me take a risk, this is what I saw. I said, I saw you running, and then you touched your knee, and then you got on a bicycle, and you're running the, you're doing the, the cycle or whatever. Thank you. Total of France, I'm Bush. I didn't go to school, so have mercy. So then he hurts his knee, then he gets a motorbike, and the man just goes, shut up! I said, what do you mean, shut up? I said, okay. He said, who have you, you spoken to? I said, no one. He said, have you spoken to my wife? I said, no, no, no. Come on, tell me, what's, what is it? He said, I used, to, I used to be very fit, and I used to do the marathons, and I had a very bad knee injury. And so I decided I was gonna do the cycling thing, cause maybe it'd be easier on my legs, but it got so bad that yesterday I was speaking to my wife, and I purchased a brand new motorbike it meant nothing to me but this word meant everything to him he came to my church the next week he invited the whole church of England he said there's that man there's that crazy man that knows everything I was like okay it's the glory of god to conceal a thing it's the honor of the church to search out the matter and as you and i become better at searching god you'll begin to reveal with a greater flow and i guarantee the next time i come back to nigeria you'll all be prophesying Christ rise to your feet find somebody you don't know or find somebody you don't like or you don't know too well (laughs) move around the room find somebody we're all going to practice How many of you have ever practiced hearing the voice of God before? Lift your hand if you've ever done this before. Okay, so two, three, four of you. Good. Find somebody. And you're going to practice now. This is where you get to do some work. And listen. Listen. So many people. So many people come to me. And they say, oh, I love this dress. You look awesome. So many people come to me and they say to me, they say, hey, but if you train everybody to prophesy, that's going to be messy. Who's going to lead? Can I tell you something? The Bible says that where there are oxen, there'll be mess, but much strength comes through the ox. The good news about oxen is that you get to do more than you can do without an oxen. The bad news is you have to clean up the poo. There'll always be mess where there are oxygen. and just because the prophetic is being birthed in Nigeria doesn't mean it's not going to be messy. Doesn't mean there's not going to be a couple of people rise up in pride. Doesn't mean there's going to be a couple of, not going to be a couple of people think they're better than everybody else. There's going to be mess. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Does that make sense? Don't throw the baby out with the water it pooed in separate the poo from the baby amen so this is what we're gonna do we're gonna practice it in the voice of God and all we're going to do is we're going to say we're gonna ask God how do you hear God do you ask him my people have not because they ask not simple. So when I'm in a meeting, I usually say, God, who are you speaking to today? And what do you want to say to them? And what's going what's gonna to be a word that I can give to that one person that everybody else can say amen to? I'm usually looking for the person. I could prophesy to everybody in the room. I prophesied over 500 people in one night one time. It was the worst thing I ever did, but I did it. We, it, was, it was painful. But I want to I make sure I'm impacting that one person that can impact everybody. And so... So so when I find them, I go, okay, God, what are you saying about them? What's their future? But I usually start with, God, what's something in their past? It's called the word of knowledge. I wish I could teach on it. What's something in their past that can give credence to something I'm about to say about their future? Because if all you do is say, you're great, you're wonderful, God's going to use you, they'll say, amen, that's wonderful. Or you say, you're a daffodil in God's hands, I just see you like a rose. They'll say, amen. But they'll feel like that's just a motivational speech. The reason Jesus looked at the woman and said, you've been married five times and the person you're living with isn't your husband, is because it gave credibility that he was a prophet. So anything he said after that will have authority. The word of knowledge gives you credence because it's measurable. And it's the one area prophets try to avoid because it's an area that people can tell you that's true or (laughs) try again, mister. (laughs) It's a painful one. It's a painful one. It really is. But look at the person next to you and say, I give you permission to practice on me. It's a good place to start. Give you permission to practice. And all we're going to do is we're going to ask God, show me a word concerning this person's past. So what are we waiting for? We're waiting for a word of knowledge. And we're going to say, show me a word about their past that has stopped them from moving on with their future. And then you're going to ask God, show me the future that you have promised them.